you would grab a Bible, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We'll be spending all of our time this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes, and you do well to have a Bible open. In fact, I think you'll be a little lost if you don't, so have a Bible open to that place, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So good to see you this morning. We do, as has been mentioned, have a number who are out uh, for this holiday time, but we also have a number of visitors. We thank you so much for being here. We're glad that you're here. We'd like to get to know you better. Thank you for visiting with us. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 1, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Vanity, he says, worthless, pointless. The author of Ecclesiastes is driven by one major concern. His question is, is there a point? And that's what he keeps asking. That's the reason in verse 3 he says, What does a man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? What's the point of everything? And so his question resonates with us. It is a vital question because we need a purpose. We instinctively seek a purpose. If you're like me, you hate preseason football because there's no point. Why are we playing this game? In fact, for most people today to say, what's the point, is exactly the same as saying, I'm not going to do it. What's the point? Why would I do something for which there is no point? We search instinctively for meaning. And the preacher asks, is there a point to any of it? Why are we here? What do we gain? That search for meaning, though, that question, is there a point, really does affect our behavior. Because we don't work nearly as hard when we don't have a goal or a direction. Just how much work do you get done on the project when there's no deadline and you don't really care if it gets done? I think you can look around my house and you can see the answer to that. We just don't work as hard or as passionately when there's no point. We need to find meaning. And so, this book, Ecclesiastes, is a book written to muse through this question. Is there a point? And I want to spend some time looking through the text of Ecclesiastes to see how Solomon battles that question. And then the conclusion he comes to, how he works through this question, is there a point to life? Now, to begin with, we don't have a specific claim to authorship to this book. Verse 1 said, chapter 1 and verse 1, the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And in chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So we don't know who exactly this is, but I'm going to lean strongly towards Solomon here. In fact, you'll hear me use Solomon as the name of the author throughout this lesson. And the reason is, for one, this sounds a lot like Solomon's writing in the book of Proverbs. For two, he is king over Israel in Jerusalem. And there were only three men who were king over Israel. Only two of them were in Jerusalem. And so that would be David and Solomon, his son. The other part is that it certainly seems to me like of all the kings that came, this is the one who had the opportunity to do all the things that the author talks about doing in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, though, as he writes this book, he seems to go through moods. There are moods he has where he is extremely pessimistic and just down. And then there are times where he seems to sort of buck up and say, you know what, because I've come to these conclusions, there are some things I can know and there are some things I can do. And so you can have a hard time when you read through Ecclesiastes. Sometimes it seems like we're going, we're really wishy-washy. We're going from one topic to the other. We're going from one extreme to the other. 
But perhaps most importantly is the perspective of Ecclesiastes. As we get started, I, I really want to stress this. Ecclesiastes is about life under the sun. So he says in verse 3 there, when he toils under the sun, what is life like under the sun? He is speaking from the human point of view. There is very little talk of God in Ecclesiastes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But usually he is observing what life is like from a human perspective. We are under the sun. We're not over the sun. We don't control the sun. We don't control life. We don't control nature. We are just here, and we're left to grapple with what we do know and what we can control. And because of that, there are some very depressing conclusions that come from just viewing things from a human perspective. And I believe that's part of the function of Ecclesiastes. But because of that, what you'll find is that Ecclesiastes reads very differently from a lot of the Bible. It's going to sound different. In fact, if you've never read Ecclesiastes before, you're going to say, wow, I can't believe that's in the Bible. So let's have that journey for a few minutes this morning. Now, I just want to talk about it this way. I want to talk about, first of all, what is Solomon's frustration as he looks at life under the sun? The first thing Solomon is frustrated by is death. Death is the major issue. It is what makes life under the sun so frustrating. It makes all our accomplishments temporary. They're only for a little while because we're going to die, and whatever we do is going to die too. It's going to die with us. Look with me in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 2 and verse 12, <clears throat> chapter 2 and verse 12 says, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving for wind. So he, he starts by praising wisdom. Wisdom's the best way to live. But he seems to stop himself and say, but wait a minute. If I'm wise, I still die. And if I'm a fool, I still die. The same event happens to them all. So wisdom doesn't help me escape death. Therefore, wisdom becomes vain. It's vanity. It's useless. Because it doesn't help with the real issue. Wisdom doesn't prevent death. In fact, it seems grossly unfair when you look at it from an earthly perspective that wise people don't live any longer than foolish people. You see how frustrating that is? What's the difference? Why not just live the way you want to live? Look with me in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 18. Drop down here, verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toil and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? So he says, not only that, I'm going to die and all my work and all my wisdom and all my skill, it's all going to go to somebody else. And who knows what he's going to be like. I wonder if this is not Solomon thinking about Rehoboam. 
his son, who is shortly going to divide the kingdom he leaves him. In, in a mark of remarkable foolishness, he is going to say, uh, take the advice of his friends. And, and so I wonder if Solomon is not thinking, who knows whether he'll be a fool or wise. But what he is going to control is everything I've worked for. I don't get it because I'm going to die. And so he says he despaired. He gave his heart up to despair over all the things that go on under the sun. Look in chapter 5 with me. Chapter 5 and verse 13. Ecclesiastes 5.13 There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? So when we're done with all our work, and we get all our money, and we add it all up, What happens? Then we die and all the money goes back in the box. We don't get any of it. We don't take it with us. So what's the point? He's saying it doesn't last because death is the enemy. We're all going to die and when we die, we go naked as we came. That's what he says. We don't take it with us. Look in chapter 9 with me. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 2. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 2. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. He who swears is as he shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion." For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They, know, they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Whew. Somebody's having a bad day, aren't they? Solomon is saying, death is the enemy, death comes to all, and it doesn't matter how you live. You're still going to die. And when you die, everything that you had hoped for and everything that you had dreamed about, everything about you is gone. Now, that is a depressing thought. But it leads to the idea, well, what is the point? Is there a point to any of this if all we're going to do is live for a little while and then die and we don't take anything with us? And that is a question that, frankly, we must face. That is a question that all humans must face because death is a reality. But Solomon finds death particularly frustrating. Because it eliminates meaning from our work that we do in the lives that we live. Second, Solomon is frustrated by a lack of satisfaction. Let's go back to chapter 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. When I say lack of satisfaction, and when Solomon talks about this, we're really talking about the idea that the things that we do on earth are not fulfilling. That they don't meet the needs that we feel. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Even when we see and hear what we're seeking, he says it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't give us what we're seeking. So we keep looking for it again. Part of the book of Ecclesiastes is that it details Solomon's search for something satisfying. Something that he can attach, hook onto and have some meaning in. And he he searches through all kinds of things. He talks about this search 
in chapter 1 and verse 12. In chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over, Jerusalem, over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And he talks about in verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So he said, I, I was going to learn stuff. I was going to get really smart. And that was empty. It was like striving after wind. It didn't fulfill. It didn't satisfy. It didn't meet any need. Instead, all it did was make me more sad. Whoever increases wisdom increases sorrow. Whoever increases knowledge, there's vexation there. He says, this wasn't what I wanted. So I thought it would be it, but it wasn't. So what did I do? I tried some other stuff. Chapter 2 and verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. You hear him. He is trying to find something that will satisfy him. If it's good or evil, if it's pleasure, fine. Just anything that would finally satisfy these needs, these desires, anything. I'm looking for satisfaction. I want to remind us, too, it's not as if Solomon is saying here, I wanted pleasure, but we don't have good enough technology. Our drugs aren't good enough. This is not a function of, of primitive times versus modern times. This is about the nature of pleasure. And so what he decides about that, he gets down to verse, uh, verse 9, chapter 2 and verse 9, he said, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So trying the wine, trying doing these impressive works, becoming very famous and well-known, giving himself up to pleasure, all of it, he said, was just empty, vanity, worthless, pointless. It did not satisfy. Look in chapter 5 with me, Ecclesiastes 5. <clears throat> verse 10, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eye? You love money, he says, you won't be satisfied with money. How frustrating is that? You love it, when you get it, you don't feel satisfied. But I think we all observe this. I think we all understand this. If you have any experience with money at all, you know the truth of that. Because you get it, and then what happens? Well, that, for money to have any value, you have to spend it. And then you don't have it. And instead, he says, I, I love this statement in verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Okay, so the more you get, the more you lose. So what, well, I mean, what advantage is it? What satisfies about that? Instead, all you, what, you get to see it? That's what he says in verse 11. You get to see it with your eyes. Congratulations, you see it. That's not fulfilling. 
There's no satisfaction in life. So have you noticed that about your life? That the things that you think will satisfy don't satisfy. Instead, you find yourself having to try to duplicate the experience and you still don't have that sense of satisfaction. Whether that's pleasure, whether that's achieving a goal that you've long dreamed of achieving and you achieve it and you realize, uh, this wasn't what I thought it would be. Whatever it may be, we find a lack of satisfaction is, is a part of life. And Solomon says, that's frustrating. In fact, he says, it's so frustrating. It makes me wonder, is there a point to any of this? Why do we have these desires that we can't ever fulfill? Solomon is also frustrated by injustice. On top of all the difficulty that man must endure, he also says, even the place we would look for something good and righteous, it's not there. Look in chapter 3 with me, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 16. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of men that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. So he says, I look in the place of justice and I see evil there. And he says, I know that God's going to do something in the future, perhaps. But, but the idea doesn't really give a lot of comfort to the person who's being oppressed. In fact, look in chapter 4 with me. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. He says, I see the oppressed. I see the people who are taken advantage of and trampled on by the powerful and the rich. But there's no one to comfort them. Remember, he's looking at it from a human perspective. I don't see anybody rushing to help. There's no one to hold their hand. And he says, it would be better not to exist than to see the kind of things that go on in the world that we live in. That's verse 3. It's not just injustice in the sense that, that we're talking about. Sometimes there are miscarriages of justice. It is also the idea that people are evil. And in our evil, we do evil to one another. And that makes Solomon frustrated. It makes him wonder... Is there a point to any of this? Are we just here to hurt each other until we die? Solomon is also frustrated by an inability to figure everything out. He has made trying to figure things out his life's work. He said, I set myself to do this. This is the task that God's given. But there are things that he cannot figure out. In fact, the essence of the whole question he cannot figure out. Now, this works two ways in the book of Ecclesiastes, this idea of the unknowable, things that are beyond us. In one sense, Solomon is talking about that we can't know what went on before us, and we can't know what's coming after us. So we're sort of trapped in this moment in time. We can't learn enough of the past that we can learn it and it can benefit us, but we also don't know enough of the future to know how we should live now in light of the future. And so there is this frustration of being trapped in the present. Let me show you that in a couple of places. Look in chapter 1 with me. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he has just finished talking about the, the sort of circular idea of the world, that the sun just rises and sets and rises and sets, that you've got the water cycle where the waters flow from the streams and the sea, and, and there's just this sort of continual cycle. And in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 1, he says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So in other words, to Solomon, history looks like a cycle that doesn't go anywhere. We just go around and around and around the same circle, over and over and over again. And we duplicate the things that people did before, and the people before, and the people after us are going to duplicate the things we do, and we're just in a circle. There's no sense of progress. There's no sense that we're going anywhere, that we're learning anything. Instead, what we would like to know is hidden from us, and it will be hidden from the future generations as well. I'll show you this in a few passages, this idea that we can't know what's before or what's to come after. This is Ecclesiastes 6.12, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell man what will be after him? Okay, so we can't know the future, and so we don't even know what's good for us if we're just looking at the world from a human perspective. Ecclesiastes 7.14, In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Ecclesiastes 7, 23, 24, all this I've tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Okay, the things that have come before that might really actually benefit me, I can't know them. And Solomon feels an intense frustration in this. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? He does not know what is to be. Who can tell him? Who can tell us the future? A fool multiplies words that no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? You hear it over and over again. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. There is an inability to figure out the past and the future that frustrates Solomon. But there is another thread when you talk about not being able to figure everything out that I want to point out that's in the book. And that is just the idea that the whole picture is not clear to us. The whole picture about what God is doing, about the point to life. And that is, in one way, part of Solomon's conclusion. Look in chapter 3 with me of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 3 and verse 9, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 9 says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That idea of what God has done in Ecclesiastes has a very specific meaning. He's talking about what God's purpose is for the world. And, and it appears that... He's given us enough information that we feel like there's a bigger picture than what we see, but not enough information for us to see the whole picture. And that's frustrating. So Solomon says, God has put eternity in our hearts, and yet he's put us in time. So we feel like there's more. We're sure that there's more, but we don't know what it is. 
And that's frustrating to Solomon. It's, he's unable to figure out just everything that God is doing. Look in chapter 8 with me. In chapter 8 and verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. I don't think Solomon is being humble here and saying, you know what, it's just, I'm just not smart enough. No, this is a statement of frustration. You can't know it. It's unknowable. And that makes him frustrated. It's not in our realm is the idea. This is Ecclesiastes 11.5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You can't know it. And that frustrates him. So, can you tell he's frustrated? There's a lot of frustration in this book. And so this book reads very pessimistically. But I don't believe that's the whole picture. Because I believe there is enough in Ecclesiastes for us to have some positive thoughts and some hope about how we observe life under the sun. Particularly, I believe that what Solomon is doing in this book is to show us that God changes things. And the picture of God, when introduced from time to time, changes the tone of how Solomon describes life on earth. And I want to talk about two ways that God changes things and then we'll be done for the morning. The first thing that God changes is that God gives us enjoyment in our labor. That is, while we may be frustrated that our labor doesn't last eternally because we're going to die, there is still a gift in our hard work. And I want to show you this in a few places. In chapter 2 and verse 24, Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to him to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving for a win. So Solomon directly attributes this, verse 24, to the hand of God. God has given us something that is nothing better than to find enjoyment in our labor. And we can eat and be at peace knowing that because we have worked hard and done what we can, that God is blessing us with the small joys of life. Chapter 3 and verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Chapter 3 and verse 22, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Over and over again, eat, drink, enjoy your work. Now, I believe what Solomon is saying is that when we have done work, that work brings its own reward. For one, we are made to work. And when we accomplish our purpose, there is a satisfaction to that. For two, after we have worked, there is the relaxation and the enjoyment of the fruits of our labor. And he says that is a gift of God. Now, 
sometimes we can be like Solomon, so focused on a big picture that we miss small blessings like these. The little joys of life. The small things that make us happy in the little moments that we have. And what Solomon is saying is there is value here. This is part of what God is doing in the world. He is giving us, through our work, the satisfaction that we need to continue in life. And when we overlook that because we're not interested in things that are so small and unimportant, what we end up doing is rejecting a blessing from God. Now, God can take all of our work, and I believe later revelation helps us to see how he does this, and take all of our work and all of our work combined, he can use it in his own way. But that's not where Solomon is. Solomon is just saying God gives us enjoyment in our labor, and we need to enjoy it. We need to accept that blessing from God. And the second thing that God changes is that God will judge. The idea of judgment that this life is not the end and not the last word. Look with me in chapter 3 and verse 16. There are three passages that I want to look at and then we'll be done. Chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. So he says, particularly in verse 17 there, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. He contrasts that with the way men judge. That men judge and there is wickedness in the men who are judging. But God is not that way. God is righteous and he will judge to determine who is righteous and who is wicked. And that gives some purpose to the life under the sun. For one, it deals with that idea of injustice. It means that injustice is only temporary. That's only right now because God has a later judgment that will come. Look with me over in chapter 8, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 10, it says, chapter 8 and verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried... They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So... He contrasts the judgment of God, again, with corruption in government. Because that's what he's been talking about in the broader context here. And he talks about how sometimes men are encouraged to do wrong because the sentence against crime is not executed quickly. So as people linger and wait for punishment, then other people are emboldened that there's no punishment after all. But he says in verse 12, Yet I know... Yet I know that God will judge, and it will be well with him who fears God. Yet I know that it will not be well with him who does wicked. Even even if his life goes great, I know. And so he is looking from a broader perspective, almost trying to reassure himself. This really is true despite what I'm seeing. It is a statement of faith, which are very rare in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a statement of faith. I know something about God that I don't yet see. But all of that, 
might be considered mere talking points compared to what's at the end of the book in chapter 12. So let's look there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he says, this is the end of the whole matter, the conclusion. Here is what I have to say in conclusion. For all my searching and all my thinking, all my writing, fear God. See, at the end of it all, Solomon comes down to God. And that's surprising, given especially the way the book goes. It's surprising that he says God is really the key. Fearing God is the key. But particularly, fearing God and keeping His commandments, 4 verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment. God will judge. And that changes everything. Because what that means is suddenly, there is something more to life than just what we see. There is something more to life than our frustrating experience with life. That there is a judgment at the end of it all that gives meaning and context. There is a point. I'm not sure that Solomon has in mind here everything that we know from later revelation about the ultimate judgment of God, about the ultimate fates of the wicked and the righteous and all of that. But I know that God's judgment gives Solomon some purpose to life. See, it changes things. It changes the idea of death. Because death is not the end of everything that we've done. Instead, what we've done is going to live on with us and we're going to be judged by God. The lack of satisfaction is changed because there are still purposes that we have to live for. And those things will ultimately be well with the righteous. Something that truly does satisfy and give purpose. Injustice is gone because God will give true justice. And we'll know what needs to be known. There is an inability to figure everything out that may continue. And yet we can know that what we need to know that's personally relevant to us has already been revealed. So, Ecclesiastes is a downer of a book. But I think that we can relate to a lot of these observations about life. I think that we experience some of the same frustrations in life. And I think it's important to know that God sees those frustrations when he looks from our perspective. And yet that's not the end of the story because there is more to it than just what we see and observe, just our frustrations. And that is the good news of God's revelation to man. Particularly, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I want to say one more thing about this. The idea of there being pointlessness to life is where the dominant view of our culture and our time is taking us. Because our culture and our time says that the world and universe as we know it and human life exists as a series of undirected happy accidents. It just so happened to happen. There's no one behind it. There's no one over it. We're just here for a little while. There is no why. And there is no point. And I want us to all see, and I think Solomon gives voice to this, how horribly depressing that is. If there truly is no point, then we have nothing to live for. There's no goal to life. 
And we'll be like Solomon, incredibly frustrated. In fact, I think we'll go far beyond Solomon. There is a point to life, but that point is only found in a God who changes life and the perspective of life so that we see that there are things to enjoy here for a little while and there is judgment at the end. So I hope you'll take some time to think about this and to think about the point of your life and how God changes that point and whether you're living for God and living for that time when there will be a judgment of every secret thing, all things that we have done, good and evil. And it might be that you've decided that you need to make a change because of what you think about your life. And you know that God's going to judge you for the things that you've done, the person that you are, the good news of the gospel, good news that Solomon didn't know about because it had not been revealed yet. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to earth and lived as a man and died for our sins so that in that judgment we can stand right before God. We can be clean and holy and pure. And that is the hope that Christians hold today, that as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we can be declared righteous in His eyes. And if you need the blood of Jesus so that you can be cleansed of your sins, we would love to help you to be right with God. I encourage you, if you've come to faith in Jesus and you decide that you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, to turn away from your sins and to come And to let us know about that desire, we can baptize you into Christ right now. Is there any need that you have? Please come right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.